hate this was me and Duncan sitting down and uh, spent a good amount of time talking about the um, a bit of a journey I've been on. I think it's a journey we all have been or need to be on, and that is understanding this racial tension in America today. Um, yeah, it's a big deal, and it's a big deal for churches. Um, churches have to figure out what we're doing uh, differently and um, figure out how to be a part of all of this. I think it's important. So I have been doing a lot of work on it, figuring out um, how to communicate. Um, but it all it all really starts with listening. Duncan was kind enough to come on and, and has got zero background in it or anything on this. He was like, yeah, no, let's, uh, let's just talk. He said, I know nothing. So um, we sat down, had a good conversation about uh, race relations. Two white guys. But good news is I'm going to have, uh, I'm going to change that on the next podcast. So uh, stay tuned. But without any further ado, here is Duncan. officially recognize our friends that are living in the new nation of Coronaville? Coez? Coez? Oh, yes. No, Chaz, isn't Chaz. it? Chaz, sorry. What is it? Uh, of Chaz? Citizens, uh, what's the age? Capitol Hill. Hill. Capitol Hill, something, I don't remember any of it. Un, uh, <laughs> Obviously, it's made an impression on us. Capitol Hill of Whatever, the anarchists... Anarchist zone, maybe. Or anti-something zone. I would like to recognize them and just welcome them to North America. Yes, that is a good thing to do. And um, we, for one, support um, anything that that will cause the demise of Seattle. I'm down for that. Which which would just be basically supporting Seattle (laughs) at this point. (laughs) I watched watched one of those documentaries where they... They follow homeless people in Seattle and just how like like, there's normal functioning people in Seattle that have decided it's in our best interest to be homeless. Yeah, I believe it. We can be close to our jobs. There's enough whatever. We can sleep here. We can – and the little homeless communes that are there. Mm -hmm. And they have a plan getting out at their normal – because normally you're homeless. You think, oh, 90 percent mental illness, something like that. We need more public funding to help, hand up, whatever. But these are people that are choosing – this is how we're going to do it. We have a, a population similar to that in Des Moines. Now, I would say 80% are, have mental health, you know, like actual homeless mental health issues. Um, but there's a handful who are just like, I want to smoke in my house and none of the places I can rent is for apartments. Let me smoke inside. So I have this tent. So I live, well, they like build these ramshackle things and then like every couple of years people complain enough and the Des Moines Public Works goes down and knocks them all over. And they're like sad for a day, and then they build it again. So I haven't heard of. I mean, Ankeny, right? So we yeah. don't. We don't. I've been to it. I, I went down there once, and uh, we're doing like just outreach ministry stuff and visiting those places. And they're some of them are. I wouldn't call them nice, but they're like structures. It's you know plywood and boards and some driftwood here and there, and they got like a little thing set up. They got padlocks on doors, and that's and they have day jobs. They go to work. 
mm-hmm. and uh, they're saving money and they drink a lot. <laughs> from no what I can tell, <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. not all it's not all paradise, but right. Yeah. So no, I I welcome Chaz people. You are I recognize you. It is insane. It is insane that Seattle is like okay. You can have our pre. I don't understand because this was Minneapolis too. The cops just like take our pre. Like we'll shred the stuff that we don't want you to see, but you can have our precinct. I don't understand how that solves anything. The Minneapolis one was a whole different story. That one was specific because it was getting to a point where um, there would be real like death violence because there was going to be that they were pressing to take over that precinct and they were coming through those doors and the police were going to engage with firearms and a lot of people are going to die. So in that mindset, they were like, better if we just get out and let them burn it versus stay here and kill a bunch of people. I get that. Not not a great thing. Obviously, I'm not happy about that. You have to be pretty sure that you can predict the future to know that they're actually going to press in knowing that there's fully armed people that have been training their whole life for this moment. Yeah, that was pretty intense. On the other side of the door. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not... This is the interview with the guy who doesn't know anything <laughs> but has questions. Isn't that and all of the interviews I do with you? <laughs> yeah. More so with this. I mean, because this is... This whole BLM and the whole... I know a little bit, but this is way out of my comfort zone. Right. Because I don't know what I don't know. Because you're a cracker. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, and I would say, and I, I talked about this a little bit this week in my sermon that um, I started a, a little bit ahead and Living Faith started a little bit ahead because of our Kenyan population, mm-hmm. um, which is not not a, a one-to-one with black people. So the, the thing about the, the black community and the refugee community is they are not friends. <laughs> and it's mostly on refugees. Refugees, um, so our, our Kenyan refugees have a really hard time sympathizing with the the people of color in the United States who are oppressed because they're coming from a place of way more oppression. And they work their tails off to get here and love it here so much. I mean, they've worked their whole life to get here. And we're talking about a, a population of color people who, who did not want at all to be here ever. The people of color here were, were um, brought here on boats not for their own will. Now, the generation since they've been born here, but they they only know the oppression that's here. And it's so it's just a different sort of thing. So refugees tend to, to look at the black community here like, dude, what are you guys talking about? It is not nearly as bad as it is back in Kenya. It is not nearly as bad as it is. Like, this is great. So it's a bit perspective and and trying to understand a different culture. So we've it's, there's a lot of work involved in understanding how um, people view uh, the world differently when you go to uh, Africa and you, you start to just appreciate there's people experience things differently. So <clears throat> like for us, being on time is super polite um, and, and starting a church service on time is a very polite thing to do for everybody who got there in time. And if you are late, then that's you know a little bit rude. It's not You understand terrible. that it's going to start without you. Yeah. In Kenya, it is rude to start on time, and it is seen as generous and kind to wait for that last person to get there before you start because you're saying that that person is more important than the time of the start of the worship service. 
So like experiencing that, you're kind of like, yeah, like you kind of got a point. Like if I'm talking to somebody, I'm like, hey, uh, shut up. I have to go start church now. <laughs> like, right. That's kind of rude. I wouldn't say it like that, but it's. But no, you, you would. I would. <laughs> <laughs> I probably would. Generic Lutheran pastor. <laughs> would not. Luke Tim, certainly. Right. Yeah. So it's, so, so this is kind of where I'm at. And I want to start to get the ball rolling here on my ignorant um, perspective on all this. Um, I don't see anyone complaining about, and this is from my panoply of acquaintances and friends, even the most ardent Blue Lives Matter people are saying, yeah, we need police reform. Mm -hmm. And there seems to be an understanding that reform, and this is more of where I'm coming from, but I haven't heard anybody object to this, that right now the problem is the good cops know who the bad cops are, but they are disincentivized to rat out the bad cops because of this idea of a brotherhood kind of thing. So you need to make an incentive on, and because yeah. I'm going to equate this to pastors, right? Because I see the same thing going on with clergy, fewer people dying, maybe more people going to hell. However, we know who the good ones are. Yeah. We know certain guys shouldn't get through. Mm-hmm. So there's that aspect of it, um, that there needs to be to de-unionize. So you're not, if you're a bad cop, you're out. Like we all know who they are. Right. You're done. Also demilitarize the police. I was talking to a gentleman this morning up at our church who uh, has sold me on demilitarize the police. And then I would throw this in on top of that, that it says something that the natural progression of career is. So after my time in the military, I joined law enforcement going, okay, well, in the military, you were a team. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And anyone that wasn't on your team were the bad guys that you were trained to do violence to transition to civilian world you're the police who's the opposing team everybody it's, else it's everybody else right. and, and just the idea of that's not the right mindset yeah i i'm not quite as convinced of, of either of those two um we can we can much we, we can greatly lower the militarization of the police but when, when people start talking about like should they have these weapons and should they have this and that you know, there's been more than one occasion of active shooters in Des Moines where, where the shooters had military-style and grade weapons. And <clears throat> what do you want the response to be? Cops going in with, with handguns against a guy with an AR-15? That's a, that's a bad situation. We don't need every cop. And, and here's the other thing is— Right. It, it should be a resource that they have, but it shouldn't be— I'm going to take the crusher out today, you know, like yeah, yeah. that that kind of thing, that you want to de-escalate the natural tension between police and the communities that they serve. Right. And is that, and again, coming from an ignorant perspective, the call to defund the police, it's a terrible tagline because people hear that and they go, no, or <laughs> abolish the police, like, no. But is what they're getting at saying, instead of this top-down autocratic policing style, militarized police we want it to be more grassroots. You live in the communities you serve, that kind of thing. <clears throat> yes, and that's that's one of the things that I've been saying over and over again is um, we have to have people from those communities specifically uh, who know that culture, know the people. I mean, maybe not by name, but but at least know what this neighborhood feels like this. I know that because I lived here, and I, that's not a big deal. And you know what? That doesn't look like a big deal, but that is a big deal, and I know that because I'm from here. The challenge to that is there's a lot of places where – they don't pay cops enough to live there. And it's a real problem, <laughs> like like New York. Like no New York cop lives in New York. I mean, they don't pay them $400,000 a year to afford a studio apartment. I mean, it's 
So, so that's a that's a big problem. Um, I think it it could even be a smaller. Um, so, so the police departments in big cities tend to get bigger, bigger, and bigger. Obviously, uh, makes sense. But if we were um, patrolling and, and having police more like in a in a smaller ge- geographical region. So these cops are always in these neighborhoods um, and the police station is there and they just have more of a local presence versus, you know, the station is 15 miles that way and I'm driving 20 miles the other direction and I I know the streets and the roads but I don't know any of the people who are here. That's part of our problem. Um, probably need more police officers, not fewer. And after this, of course, the question is, who wants to be a cop? Oh, I know, right? <laughs> I mean, so again, how do you, and same, again, I'm putting this through the lens of, I see parallels between the condition in the church and clergy and, and yeah. police, where we've let the wrong kind of people go through. They've tainted the, the brand. Taint. 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 Don't taint the brand. And then, <clears throat> then, so you need more and better, but because the brand's been tar- tarnished. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody, <laughs> somebody tarnished their taint? <laughs> <laughs> that who wants to be a cop? So you're not yeah. and saying to the pastors, you're not recruiting the best and the brightest and the most qualified. You're recruiting whoever shows up. And this is this is why the um, the brand or the tagline of defund the police or abolish the police is actually kind of helpful because they're I think they're gonna wear this stigma now that is um, that cops are bad. A, a, whatever it is, all cops are bastards. A, C, A, B. That's one of the, the popular spray paint on things. Um, so, yeah, why would why would a 18-year-old kid going into college think, I want to get, get a degree in law enforcement and be a cop when A, C, A, B? And if I'm a current police, and again, uh, full disclosure, our Ankeny police force, super, super good. Right there, yeah. They, they're very good about not throwing their weight around. They're very good about community involvement. So... Where I live, so understand where I'm coming from, like the police that I know, big fan. But I know that the police in Ankeny are different than police in these big urban centers mm-hmm. and even some rural areas that are getting all the headlines. So that yeah. I get that. Um, so how do you recruit the right kind of person to be a police officer? I don't know the answer to that. Well, and you also Other than throwing more money at it, but then we're trying to defund it. <laughs> right. I, so my buddy Jason, who is a mm-hmm. cop, and he had, he's bumped into these a couple times when he's a PIO, the public information officer. He would always say, um, you, you can screen as much as you want, do everything right. And then in a moment of um, pressure, panic, um, violence, you don't know. You don't know what he always says. You can't see what's in a man's heart. Um, used to say that on camera, and I was just be like, "Ooh, you are close to preaching Jesus, like one <laughs> one small step." And he's like, "Oh, well, I know." Um, but it's you know, you can't see what's in a man's heart to know how they're going to respond to X, Y, Z. And and we've had um, we've had so Des Moines is actually, and I talk about this in my sermon this Sunday. Des Moines is really good, and we we have not had a, a ton of problems. So this guy Chauvin, who is kneeling on the neck of uh, George Floyd, he had seventeen. Complaints. Seventeen. This wasn't filed. just he had a bad day at the job once in ten years, yeah. right? That because that's another thing. Let me bracket this yeah. off. The idea of finding the perfect police officer is not going to happen, right. right? And I want to circle back to that. So remind me to circle back to that. You're not going to find the perfect cops. Cops are going to mess up. They are human beings. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. But this guy wasn't just you had a bad day, you had a fight with your wife before you got to work. He's a bad cop, and people know it. Yes. <laughs> Every, everybody must have. It's 17 complaints. And, and you know, all, all that that says about the police department and what that says about uh, the rest of the elected officials, like Amy Klobuchar, <laughs> like, just kicking that can Amy down the road. So close. You almost had it. Right. Didn't. <laughs> Whoopsies. You could have fixed this. But I, so I, I asked uh, some Des Moines cops, and, and I've um, done a little bit. I mean, it's all public record. You can look it up. Cops in Des Moines, they get three... Like like legit complaints against him, not like the cop was mean. He wrote me a ticket. Like, like you did something wrong. Yeah, Mistakes. they're gone. Yeah, and and seventeen is is not gonna cut it. And we even have in Des Moines, we've had cops police cops. Where uh, this is several years ago, but there was a, a cop who was just just blew off or whatever whatever it was. I don't know if he was a bad cop otherwise, but like soccer kicked a dude in the head, and the cops. T- the two other cops turned him in, and he went See, to prison. And not that you want snitches, even though we know what they get. You're looking at me like you don't know what snitches get. <laughs> comment, comment below if you know what snitches get. Um, Pastor Luke Dims. Uh, no, it's uh, – it, it's, but, but to encourage cops to not – to when you know there's a bad cop, it's not going to come back at you if you let someone know. Right. The thing that I heard – I heard an interesting interview with one of the uh, retired – New York cop, captain, Mm -hmm. whatever. And he was saying the problem with the Chauvin incident was, and the Floyd incident was, everyone who there was there was a beat cop. They were wearing blue. You needed someone wearing white. You needed like a lieutenant or above. For as long as that incident took, Mm -hmm. you should have had some ranking officer there to supervise what was going on. And really, even though, I mean... Chauvin killed Floyd, and that's he's gonna he's gonna go to jail for he's gonna go to jail for two weeks, and someone's gonna shank him. I hope, right? No, I mean, I hope he goes to jail. I'm not convinced that he will. Yeah, you have to. Well, I, I hope so. You have to. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I know. Talk about cities burning; it's gonna get way worse if he doesn't. I mean, his appeal's pretty convincing. The jury knew he was guilty. Everyone knew about it. You can't find an impartial jury. There's that. Uh, the other thing is I'm not sure that they didn't overreach in the um, charge. They overcharged him, I think. For a plea deal later? Well. The last thing you want is a public trial where yeah. every, like six months from now, a year from now, everybody gets all riled up again. Right. So you want you want to plea down to murder three. Except if he really doesn't believe that he was in the wrong, he's going to fight murder two, murder three, regardless. And um, – there's there's a handful of things that they have to prove to get murder too, and I, I I read this and it's been a couple of weeks now so I've forgotten it but I just I remember thinking I can see it but it's going to be a reach to get murder too. Murder two is there was an if I understand there was intent to kill but not premeditation that's murder one murder three is you acted with no regard for human life yeah which is pretty obvious right. I can't breathe eh. mm-hmm. that's that's a yeah. But murder too that he, in the moment, intended to kill him. Now you're getting into his head. Right. And that's where the 16 or 17 prior complaints, you can show a reckless disregard for human life yeah. in those complaints, but yeah. can you show in the moment an intent? And I don't know. Yeah. I think you plea it down to three and you don't want the public trial. You want him to go away. Yeah, yeah definitely. And then talk to, talk to Epstein about how that works. <laughs> he, he killed himself though. 
<laughs> right? You wonder, so Clinton was up on Capitol Hill, right? You wonder if in a closed-door meeting, someone's like, we'll let you go with the emails if you just level with us on Epstein. <laughs> we'll trade emails for Epstein on this. <laughs> so somebody knows. Yeah, um, if you didn't know that about Duncan, he's a total conspiracy theorist and actually believes somebody else killed Epstein, and that's just crazy. That's radical. It's a fringe perspective. Really out there, Duncan. Pedophile island, the whole uh-huh. thing. Yeah. So, but back on topic, the changing in, in police tactics, and that's clearly something that is um, required. But it's, I, I fear that, that we've got caught up too much on policing and not, not seeing what the rest of the movement is saying about the system has to it a racial bias. And it's not just policing. It's, a, it's the court system. It is, um, there, there's so much bias on, on communities that are, Urban, and this is a distinction that I want to be really careful with. So it's a uh, lower income urban bias that does impact black people more and people of color more. And then that gets transferred onto the black community as a black community. So, um, and this, this is just normal. That, what, I, what I said in the sermon for Sunday is I have a bias that, <clears throat> that is pro-cop. Because my friends who are cops have always been great people. My interactions with the cops have always been great people. So the first time I knew like I w- there was something different, I was driving in a car, and I think I've told this story before, but I'll, I'll tell it again for anybody who's new. Driving in this car, and uh, it's me, the principal of the, the church and school that I was at at the time, sitting next to me, and a couple of old ladies in the back. <laughs> we were on a staff retreat. And got turned around, it's, it's dark at night, and uh, I see this big sign on the side of the road, and it's got a big map on it of the town we're in. And I was like, that'll be useful. So I pull off, kind of pulled off the road a little bit into the grass, and all of a sudden there's there's uh, cherries everywhere, like four squad cars come pulling up. This is middle of nowhere, Michigan, right? We're out in the sticks. And I look in my rear view, and I, and I kind of turn my shoulder, so I'm not looking, I'm looking away from my, my black friend here, and I... I go, oh, good, cops are here. They'll let us know where we need to go. And I look back, and he's got his hands on the dashboard leaning forward, like totally like I am – this is going to go bad, but this, this is what black people have to do when One they get pulled over. from bending and spreading. Yeah, and he just looks at me and goes, only a white guy says, oh, good, the cops are here. <laughs> and I was like – Really? <laughs> I mean, he's, he was a, he had, you know, master's degree level intelligence, bright guy, um, grew up not like in Detroit, grew up in the suburbs. Guilt by association. Yeah. And he was, he was not, um, an urban kid. He, he, but he picked it up and one of my youth group kids back in Michigan got all upset because, and I called me, his parents talked to me and I came over and talked to him and he got pulled over in, um, I think he was in Auburn Hills or maybe even further North than that driving a nice car because he was adopted. His parents are, are pretty wealthy, um, had a nice car, and he gets pulled over and harassed by cops. Why are you in this neighborhood? Whose car is this? Mm-hmm. And he, I was like, really? It, it absolutely happens. And he, again, not an urban kid, grew up a rich kid going to a private high school. It's uh, it, it, I think the bias is about... Um, socioeconomic status transferred to skin color. And it's that because if you it, – it is a reality. You go into um, lower income, tougher neighborhoods and you're going to see predominantly people of color. 
And if you do that over and over and over again, just like I, all of my interactions with cops are positive, 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 I have a positive bias towards police. If you have this constant um, interaction with, with black people and people of color, that is, um, I get called every time I get a call and I go down there for something, whatever it is, it's a person of color. And that bias just starts to build in you and you can't see – you're no longer a neutral um, observer. You've, you've now – You've picked up a, a prejudice against and, a skin color, and that's kind of the question I have about all of this. What's the what's the issue really? Is it a racial issue that you have a bunch of white supremacists that became cops and they're out to get black people, or is it a people with power using their power inappropriately over people that do not have power? Because I think how you solve those problems looks very different. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think you're right in highlighting there's kind of a, a confusion between the two mm-hmm. that it started with people with power over people with none, but people with no power tend to be people of color for whatever tend to be. Yeah. Um, now, now my experiences with, with police officers, not, 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 nothing, nothing like you see in the inner cities and all that, but I've had three run-ins with cops where I left going, that wasn't right. Really? Yeah. So, I mean, and, and this is small ball stuff, but... Speeding but tickets, I assume. <laughs> one of them. No, the, the first one was I got pulled over in te- rural Tennessee for going 77 and 65, and I was going 72. And I tried to explain to the cop that I saw you. Why would I keep going 12 over? Right. Like, that's dumb. And he's, you, he did the whole, you're calling me a liar. You can come back and look at my gun. I'm like, I, I know your gun's going to say 77. And I also know that wasn't me. And it was one of those, you have to pay because you're out of state. I was at uh, Sem, I was coming back to Sem. And I even called and like, can I like object to this? Because you call the number and they're like, what county is it? And what's this county? They're like, yeah, you're not going to get anywhere. The judge and the cops. So again, not at all c- comparing that to, this is all to make a point. Yeah. Not to say like, I understand the plight. Of the, like, <laughs> you too were oppressed. Yeah. Like, I'm not trying to say that, but I'm, I'm, I'm getting to a point. Second, second one. I was in D.C. I was taking a group of friends to D.C. I was in college close to D.C. We go up every year, take a group to do the monuments at night because that's when you want to do the monuments when you go to D.C. And when you pull into the parking lot, it's the one right by the – between the White House and the Washington Monument. It's a one-way circle. I don't know why I'm gesturing hand gestures. You can, Nobody can see you. you can see it. It's a circle. So <laughs> here's a circle. You're drawing a circle. And we parked in the very first spot in the circle. Well, it's one way. So to get out, you should go all the way around, back out to where you started from. It's one in the morning. I'm like, I'm just going to back up and go. Right. Well, whoop, <coughs> lights come on. There's three cars in the procession. Now, I had crew practice that morning at five in the morning. And so, and I'm wearing contacts. So by the time it's one in the morning, the next day my eyes are bloodshot. Mm. So you've been smoking. I'm like, no, I, look at me. <laughs> <laughs> Please profile me. I am not a junkie. And so, so, but. So I told the cop, no, he's like, yeah, right. He goes back to the other two cars behind me and tries to get them to say he's been smoking, right? Like, (laughs) I'll pay the $25 fine for backing out of my space instead of pulling around the circle. But they were trying to get me on something that would have been you're going to jail. Right. The third time, this I was coming back from PLI thing, and I was living in Lincoln, Nebraska. It was, it was in Phoenix, Arizona, and I'd never been in that part of the country. So, like, instead of flying, I'm going to drive down there, see that part of the country. It's awesome. Driving back, I'm in a black Honda Civic because I, I was gangsta. Right? I mean, I was, <laughs> Obviously. No, but I mean, but speaking of profiling, right, who drives a black Honda Civic mm. across northern Arizona, right? So I'm in this black Honda Civic. I get pulled over. A car passes me, and I get pulled over. And I'm like, 
so what have I done? Like, um, you uh, you were speeding. I'm like, well, so was the car that passed me. So let me go with my warning, please. And so let me go with the warning. 20 miles down the road, there's a cop in the median. And it's one of those you just feel like, I'm going to get pulled over again. And sure enough, I drove by him and boom, he hits the siren, pulls me over. I'm like, okay, your buddy pulled me over 20 miles back. I've set my cruise control at the speed limit because I just want to get to New Mexico. Because <laughs> this is weird, right? <laughs> And he said, do you know why I pulled you up? I'm like, no. So you're weaving in your lane. I'm like, okay. He said, do you, do you mind getting out of your car? And he had the drug dog and the search. And I'm the guy on the side of the road that everybody drives by and laughs at. Like, you're going to jail. And where are you coming from? I'm like, well, I'm coming from Phoenix from a pastor's conference. Where are you going? Well, I'm driving east across Phoenix with Nebraska license plates headed in the general direction of Nebraska. I'm going home. And he kept me on the side of the road there for a half hour for no reason at all while his dog did his thing. And all I'm saying is, even after those three incidents where it's like, I was scared because these guys can do whatever they want. Right. I still, when I'm rolling around Ankeny and see cops, they don't intimidate me. They don't frighten me. I know they're on my side. Why do I know that? One, I'm older. I'm not driving a Honda Civic anymore. (laughs) Right. Right. But I don't fit the profile. I'm not on their radar. I'm invisible to them. I'm some middle-aged, middle-class dude coming back from work. Yep. So just to say that even though I've had those bad experiences, which are fun stories, I still, like you're saying, have a positive bias toward law enforcement in general. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a real issue that that exists. And it's – so what I'm trying to do with with the congregation is – just get them to start a process of introspection to to examine themselves and say, you know, it's certainly not just possible, but it's probable slash guaranteed that I have my own my own way to view the world. And the other thing is, I want to be careful because I'm not the liberal media that says, and because of that, you're a racist. No, no, it is it is when you <clears throat> a lot of people that that I've interacted with. Um, not with the, and this is why I think the the Floyd case is different, and, for, and I'll get to that in just a second. You hear the story of a shooting, and I'm guilty of this. And I go, okay, this was a bad a bad shooting by the cops, but I do want to see the video. Like, was there something where the 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 other person, the the person who got shot, did something? What happened five minutes before? Right, right, and. Um, I think that's why the video of Floyd is so absolutely what? Oh, my volume is way up, isn't it? Yeah, I barely register. It's fine. I'm going to turn your volume up. Hang on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this should all come out in the levelation anyways. Okay. So here we go. It's uh, 30 minutes in. Let's do a sound check. There we go. There we go. Drop mine right. down a little bit and yours up. I run through levelator, so it should be fine. Anyways, um, so the uh, the the pace at which it happened too is because I, I think we we tend to think you know in a, in a moment of panic you know a cop has to make a decision in a tenth of a second and that i i can say i get it you know that a cop shouldn't have or maybe it's questionable but when you only have a tenth of a second to make a decision blah 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 this was like nine minutes nine minutes this was this was not the a guy's detained yeah yeah and okay, so you get him on the ground, you're kind of amped up, and you're on his back for eight seconds. And maybe you twist your knee for a little bit just to send the message that you put him in the car. Yeah, I get it. Like that is still not good, but when it's nine minutes and people are begging you, 
standing there. You're killing him. Stop. And just that that's the part that was really disturbing to me is, is the way um, – and again, uh, whether it's racial or just um, – this is the only liberal buzzword that I actually think is useful and, and I, it, it conveys correctly. He's othering them. Okay, it does sound kind of lame. I'm not going to lie. But <clears throat> essentially he's sitting there and the look on his face is, listen, you people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, whether that is um, – uh, if they're all Poor people, people of color, people or, of color, yeah, but it's them, yeah, and he's us like, versus them. It, it totally was. It totally and the uses are winning, and he was like, yeah, and you know what? I, now I'm definitely not going to get off his neck because you people, you know, I'm going to show you people that we are the ones who decide when we get off a neck, or I, I will be the one to decide when he's had enough, not you people. So are you at the point then with that way of thinking? So the policing that's come since then. And I'm not an expert on, and I don't claim to be, from what we see on our screens, which again, we can get into our reality is shaped by what we see on screens. And I understand there's a huge disconnect between what you see on your screen and what's real. But it seems as if in certain cases, is that enough caveats, Mm -hmm. that law enforcement behaves um, erratically when it comes to applying force to protests of varying degrees of peacefulness. In other words, we're standing around, we've been doing the same thing. And all of a sudden, there's tear gas and rubber bullets flying. And do you think it's the police going, we will hurt you when and where we want to? Because I've heard someone make that case who's not crazy and saying that that's the problem with the policing now is that it's not. We're standing around. It appears as if I'm okay with you protesting after curfew. And then the rubber bullets and the tear gas start flying. Technically, I'm right. Because it's after curfew and you shouldn't be here. Right. However, it's three hours after curfew, and it's not as if the protesters have started Molotov cocktailing things. Right. And it's um, is it the same kind of attitude? Do you think it's more than attitude? It is uh, the design of police. Uh, what police do are police people. <laughs> um, they're not. So so their only move is to escalate one level at a minimum above. What somebody else is doing. This this is why people don't understand. You know, do you have? To, did they have to shoot that guy who had a knife? Yes, they're, they're not going to get into a knife fight with a guy with a knife. They're going to win. They're going to end it. Yeah, <laughs> some the guy as little force as possible. Which when someone has a knife is a bullet. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's just so so that's that's what they do is and you know when when somebody throws a punch they get tased. If somebody this then they get that. So they only escalate. There there is not. It's not just a mindset. It is the design is to police. And, and one thing that I've, um, I've actually really come to appreciate the, the distinction that right now there, the two people, there's two kind of groups of people out there that the police interact with, those that they are serving and those they are policing. So in this George Floyd case, um, why were they there? Now, it, it seems like in the mindset of the police, and I think this is uh, accurate. I, again, I haven't really experienced this as much, but I've been talking to people who have, is the cops come to get the bad guy. They're not there to serve the grocery store where the guy passed a $20, a fake $20 bill. They're there to get the bad guy. They're policing, not serving. Most often when, when I call the police, which I don't you know, don't remember the last time I did, but if somebody in in my community calls the police, they come to serve me for something. 
I mean, like, okay, so the last time I called the cops, it was to put barriers up on the street so we could have a street party. <laughs> like, <laughs> and they did. And they come out, and they, the kids get to crawl around in the police car, and it's really fun. And it's, it's nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, like, if, if something happened to my house, I'd call the police, and they would serve me, whatever. But it's they are actively, on those calls, getting the bad guy. And when that, that becomes your mission, get the bad guy, then, of course, you're going to escalate. So at a protest, you've got a bunch of good guys who are protesting. And then when the it goes from 7.59 to 8 o'clock, now they're bad guys. They just mm-hmm. turn into bad guys. You're breaking the law. Right. It would be it's, – it, the, the police are not um, designed at all to then serve them in some way to assist them. They set up the rules. You break the rules. They police you on the breaking of the rules. That's how it is. I kind of have a stupid, another stupid question. Mm-hmm. So when I was working in upstate New York, Camp of the Woods, we had a fake $5 bill get passed where I was working. And even, I mean, I think it was like 19 years old, right? But even mm-hmm. I was like, this isn't real. This feels like paper, <laughs> right? And so, so I called my supervisor and you know who showed up for counterfeit money? Uh, Secret Service. Exactly. Eh. You so, didn't know that? No, I knew, oh. yeah, yeah. But my point is, I guess I don't understand, that's a Secret Service issue. Uh, only if the guy's not there anymore. Okay, so he's there to be detained until the Secret Service gets there to investigate your counterfeit money. Yeah, and it's, it is a federal crime. So anybody who's saying, like, it's just a $20 bill, it's, it's not that big a deal. Yeah, it's a Secret Service thing. It's if a, you don't like it, change the rules. But that's – It is kind of You can protect deal. the president and investigate $5 bills in the Adirondacks mm. that don't match. <laughs> I mean, so, so, so that's interesting. Yeah. Um, so, so the big question then for me that comes out, well, there's two. We'll, we'll get to the spiritual aspect in a little bit because I've got some ideas there for you to shoot down and tell me I'm stupid <laughs> and a cracker. Uh, is, is the idea of how much policing do we want the police to do as compared to serving, right? And this gets into why do we have so many people in prison in our country? Either we're a nation of terrible, horrible people or we just have too many laws. And I think one of the problems that you addressed is a real one is that you have – and I'm an expert on this because I watched um, – what is it? What is it? Uh, uh, Orange is the New Black? <laughs> no. <laughs> Just Mercy last night. I watched that uh, that movie. Oh, yeah. So I'm, I'm an expert now. Obviously. So you should – everyone should listen and learn. Um, but no, that, that a lot of the, the – the reason why you have a disproportionate amount of people of color in prison uh, is one – well – yeah, they're, they're, they're committing crimes, but why? Again, it's in socioeconomic and not a race issue. Mm-hmm. But also the representation is absolutely pathetic. Their public defenders are not – they're not – they don't have an advocate in, in the justice system. Right. And so you can do that. You can reform and be like, OK, we'll get more public defenders and pay them more and make them care. OK, fine. But if there were fewer – if there were fewer laws to enforce, wouldn't that just help? I mean – I don't know about that. Um, the, the, so explain why we have so many people in prison. Well, so – And again, I'm Occam's razor because there's more laws to break. Right. I, I don't think so. I, I think it is um, because at some point, you know, the, the, reason, the, the people who are in prison, um, like you said, have broken laws. And I'd say that the, the reason there's so many and it's disproportionate is because of the, the bias of the system. Like you were saying – I know guys who um, who are felons because they couldn't afford a lawyer. Like, I have two friends, <laughs> and one of them 
should definitely be a felon, but he's always found or borrowed or, or like sold something to pay a good lawyer to help him plead that down to a, some sort of misdemeanor and, and served, has served lots of time in jail. Has been to prison, actually, um, just never on a felony charge. And then his friend, who I also know, one time got, got jumped by a guy trying to mug him. And uh, it went badly for the the mugger because the muggy beat the snot out of him. And they ended up charging the one guy with, you know, attempted robbery. And they attempted him with felony assault. Because <laughs> after... He didn't say quit resisting. Right. Because after, he, like, the, the situation was handled and he beat the guy up. He kept beating him he up. He just continued to kick him in the face and stomp on him. So, um... So it would a good lawyer would be like, are you kidding? Right. A good lawyer would have played play it down to like battery or something, you know, not a felony. Probation, don't do it again. Right. But couldn't afford it, so. So off he goes. Off he goes. That's crazy. Crazy. The, the guy who's not a felon waited in the parking lot with a bat <laughs> for his uh, ex-brother-in-law to come out of his tattoo shop and almost killed him. And then like. He's, he's good to go. He's good to go. Misdemeanor. He spent 30 days in jail for that one, though. I, I have good friends. <laughs> Everybody should have friends like I do. You have interesting friends. <laughs> but no, what I'm I, saying is that um, the, the problem really is some of that, and then um, we have a system that incentivizes the, the getting, the capturing and incarcerating not the um, – so we, we incentivize punishing the bad person versus helping people um, excel in life so that they're not um, committing these crimes. It, so that the – so the – basically what you're getting at is the, the DAs are rewarded for how many cotton captures they have, how many convictions they get. And so are the prisons. Prisons get more funding the more people they get in jail. So how do you incentivize – Fewer crimes taking place. I mean, because I think everyone can agree on if you can incentivize fewer crimes taking place, whatever that looks like, whether it's, yeah, we got to get you off the street or we're going to create avenues to success and like whatever programs right. and this and that, which, again, we can debate the effectiveness of government programs to produce the desired outcome right. at a reasonable cost. But we're incentivizing the wrong things. The system that we've created is incentivizing these outcomes is that what BLM wants to stop? And because I, I think speaking as a white person, <laughs> right, when I when I see the protests, I go, OK, I mean, I'm willing to basically give give you people, right, the others, mm -hmm. whatever you want, so long as you're not going to take anything away from me. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. is, is, isn't that where honkies like me, our mindset, like I, I don't want to have to give reparations. I don't want to have to get down on a knee. I didn't do anything wrong. If you're being mistreated. I'm okay with fixing whatever's mistreating you. I just don't want it to come out of my pocket. Yep. And the the, the biggest um, th the thing here that uh, I always say is – I always say. I've said it now for the last three weeks – is uh, capitalism, it, I'm a big fan. And then there's places where it doesn't work. And social change is one of those places because you can't incentivize. There, there's no money in helping somebody get better. There isn't. There, it's not – the market can't drive it. Because people have to invest benevolently or – But capitalism but, – but again, in defense of capitalism. Please do. I'm, and I'm by the way, what we have now in America is, is not capitalism. <laughs> but capitalism can produce more wealth for more people, therefore providing the resources for the benevolent giving. 
Except that in that system, we the the people who are getting more money, there's there's nothing to disincentivize them from taking it from the easiest people to take it from, which are going to be lower income l- urban areas with less education. So power versus non-power. Yeah, is what it comes. So it's complex. It's super complex. But but I think that's um that's the move of defund the police that is uh, again not the worst and. This, this used to be my position kind of jokingly, and it's getting to be my position kind of more. Because <laughs> I used to say um, the way to, to do policing is have a much smaller police force, but have them be all like trained Navy, Navy SEALs. SEALs. Yeah. And if, uh, if things go so bad that we have to call the police, okay, everybody's going to jail <laughs> who's involved, and you're all going to be really <laughs> sore tomorrow. <laughs> like, this is happening. So so two levels of police. What you're saying, you have the police that serve. So, like, your Barney Fife, the guy, like, he knows you, you know him, he's the local cop, he represents the law, but if he gets in over his head, if there's a violent situation, he's calling in the, the SWAT team. What, what I actually think is you have um, something closer to, like, Peace officers, right. whose job it is to try and resolve a situation. They they, they can't. Yeah, it's coming down hard. The cops, the chopper comes in, fast rope down, like, and you never see them again. But it's you know it's it's a lot more along the lines of we're um, not asking one. Per- sorry to interrupt. Yeah. But you're not asking one person to do the protecting and the serving. Right. So so we there's a domestic situation right now. When you, if there's a domestic in a and somebody if a man or a woman calls the police. Um, because they're having a fight as a couple, somebody's going to jail. That is policy almost everywhere that I know of in America, someone's going to jail. Which prevents them from calling the cops. Often. And and just in general, like the, the cops aren't going to come over and be like, well, let's talk about your marriage. Because <laughs> yeah, exactly. again, that's that would be the serving <laughs> part. They do the policing part. You call the police. They don't have prepare and rich in the trunk of the, of the crown. <laughs> <laughs> right. So if, if there was a way to, okay, here is this domestic situation. Um, there's a problem and you get a, a small group of like three or four people go over there and, and we're going to spend a couple hours and we're going to sit down and we're going to try and work this through. If it doesn't work, then fast roping <laughs> Navy SEAL cops just kicking through the windows and everybody goes to jail. I could go for that. And here's why I can go for that. Because you do have a home for like the people coming out of the military that want to kick ass. Yeah. Right. There's a home for you. Mm-hmm. I, we can use you. You're not going to be getting a cat out of grandma's tree. You're coming in when it escalates. Yeah. But then you have things where people are like, I want to give back to my community and I want to be a good person and a source for good. Like, and we have a place for you too. Right. So guys like, like honestly, like guys like us, if we were to be like, forget the church, but I want to be a good neighborhood influence. It, and I can bench like yeah. this would be for me. <laughs> I can bench <laughs> right No, This and this would be for me. I played mm-hmm. high school sports, whatever. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. And the other one, it would be like uh, an example, crack house, inner city, Detroit. Okay. I know um, that they're there because I've seen them. I lived outside of Detroit for a while. So the, the current situation is um, you have people in the circle of addiction. Um, some of them are, are happy there. Some of them are not happy there. But, but we can all, society can agree, that's not a good thing. We should assist them in getting out of that. But who do we call to do this? The police. 
Well, the police, they, they can't just like walk up and knock on the door and say, I'm going to ignore your smoking crack and talk about <laughs> right. and talk about decisions. And in Detroit, <laughs> they'd get shot on the way up because they see cop badge shoot that guy because he's walking towards my crack house. So, so everybody in the crack house shoot at that guy. So so to so there is only escalation. So so then the the police have to like have a like drug unit and they got to go undercover and do surveillance. So they can't just walk up and talk to them. They have to. So now that's escalated already in this whole thing. And, and the people who are um, drug dealers and all that they know this. So they're escalating too by buying the guns. So when because they know when the cops show up, they're bringing these guns. So we're going to have these guns. They're always on the lookout. So you're only escalating this. Now imagine there was a peace officer who. Dresses in yellow or something like very different. No, Dressed in yellow, she says hello. <laughs> okay, that's not where I was going. But that's okay. And they bust a move. And they bust the move right up to the crack house. And you you specifically say this person cannot make arrests and cannot file police reports and has no none of that power. But they do have a resource. So these people contact you and say. Um, Listen, this isn't a good situation, and we are are um, we have access to drug counselors, we have access to recovery programs, access to um, places to be and live while you get your life together, X Y Z, all this kind of stuff, and th- this is your time to take this up and and work with them for maybe six months to a year, and then at some point say, so here's the thing is. I'm at the end of my resource. It's not working. I'm going to push the button and yeah. come the choppers. So the incentive for that person is, eh, you know what? Here's the way. I should listen to this guy. I uh, end up hanging upside down by my feet from helicopter. <laughs> that's how I would take them into. You hamstring them? Dangling. <laughs> <laughs> I think a body bag trunk. Have you seen the video of that woman? <laughs> under under the helicopter on the on the backboard, it just starts spinning. It's spinning like crazy, like, yeah. dude. I laugh so hard every time I watch that because the second you're like, that's fast, it gets faster. No, 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 we're just starting. Yeah, and then there's like three or four times like it can't get, but does get faster. Like oh. it's like the dryer, it's like the washer when it's on the last spin <laughs> <Yeah>. cycle. <laughs> oh my gosh, oh. it's fantastic. All right, so does she live? Yes. Yes. Because um, I'm thinking I'm – The last I read was like seven days later and she was still dizzy. And I was like, yeah, I bet. <laughs> They're still unwinding. They're still unwinding. <laughs> so my favorite part about that is I, in my head I have the picture because she's, she's in the bag, right? She's, she's, she's in the basket. She's yeah, hanging there. Yeah. But she's zipped into a thing. She's going for a ride. So whenever yeah. she landed and the person had to unzip that and take it out, you know it was full of – crap and piss and vomit like just just a slurry (laughs) (laughs) everything that could go wrong (laughs) so what do you do you're flying it you're like uh oh yeah you can't like Uh just drop her (laughs) (laughs) but you know should we just drop her (laughs) she bores a hole in the ground Is that better or worse? <laughs> we haven't trained for this. <laughs> I bet this now not- <laughs> there's like a they probably on those on those bags that they, they zip people up, they put like a port where you can like hook up a hose and just turn like just rinse it out <laughs> before they open it. <laughs> Fills up like a water balloon. And we're flush it for extraction. <laughs> seriously one of my favorite videos. Oh, I laugh and laugh and laugh. Uh, so if you haven't seen this at home, um, it's, it's, it's a rescue video. Oh, you got to You got to pause 
and watch this video of uh, I don't know what you his Google. all the serious drama of an emergency rescue and and uh, life is on the line and then it just and, oh no <laughs> but no we're on an amusement park ride all right what well. was her initial what was her she was hiking I think she broke an ankle or something like that okay I was like I mean yeah, yeah. To get woman lifted, you kinda, helicopter Spinning. Yeah, if you Google woman helicopter spinning, you'll find it. It's the first one. Helicopter rescue of injured hiker in Arizona spins out of control. And it does. It's so good. Yeah. I so just, so here's the question, yeah. right? Back on topic. I just <laughs> stay on topic. So we're Christians. Mm-hmm. And we're looking at this going, all right, I represent Jesus. Mm-hmm. What the heck am I supposed to do here? With with the BLM, with the I support blue people, I support black people, I support the oppressed, I support the duly elected rep- godly officials. Because mm-hmm. here's where I'm at. I'll, I'll throw out my bad idea. Um, what I'm noticing in the rhetoric of, and I don't like the word side, stances. The one thing that's missing from all the different stances that are out there is the one thing that Christ has called us to do. You know what's missing is forgiveness. No one's saying, I'm BLM, and I'm looking you dirty cops in the face and say, I forgive you. I love you. Right. And me, the I law and order, which we'll talk about him next. Law and order. You rioters, I forgive you. I love you. Mm -hmm. And can we as Christians, because I think this is one of those, and I'm really wrestling with this, is it time for not become monks, but like, I'm I'm kind of bugging out of society and just saying I'm not taking a side. I'm not taking a stance on issues. As Christians, the society is, has descended into godless chaos, whatever you want to call it. We're standing outside of culture at this point. In terms of you know those those books like how Christians can influence culture, like change agent yeah. or like whatever. Yeah. Are we at the point where we stand outside? And I think this is one area where we can and say, what if we you know, and just practice forgiveness, love. And I know that sounds like, and then we'll put little Hippie flowers dippy. in the guns, right? <laughs> But I think here it works. Nope. Um, okay. I disagree. <laughs> that was easy. First good point of disagreement. Um, so part of the problem, I think, and this this is part of our own bias in in our particular denomination um, as uh, people who grew up white and in the suburbs, all of that is we're not seeing this truly as injustice and we're not seeing – the rest of what we do as working towards injustice. For instance, um, this again is in my sermon, so I, like I just preached it and it's just recorded, so if anybody wants to watch. So that poverty is an injustice. And as a church, we don't stand outside of that and say, uh, there is this unjust thing that has happened and we are, we are going to not give to the poor and, and do work and service with the poor Wrong. You don't think poverty is an injustice? I don't. I think, I think removing people's freedom to, and again, we're talking in a secular republic, right? I think taking away people's freedom to prevent them from not being impoverished is an injustice. Some people choose freely. I don't need money, right. but that they're not being treated unjustly. What's unjust is, um, I'm going to put a, I'm going to boot on your neck. Um, let's not do that. Let's not do that. Let's not do that. (laughs) Too soon. Uh, yeah. Um, creating systems that restrict freedoms from certain groups of people 
from achieving economic. Yeah, see, this is where this whatever. is where you do have this this sort of narrow view of, of talk to more poor people <laughs> because there are some poor people who are it, it is not about freedom and and the the libertarian mindset which I I tend towards, um, but it is people who are born um, with a disability, with a low IQ, mm-hmm. with uh, just with the cards stacked against them in life. Uh, and I wasn't just speaking about America. So we as Americans aren't going to do much good in changing the government of Kenya <laughs> and making that and, – and just the, the developing nation where the resources aren't there yet. So we don't say to them, well, you are, you are impoverished and um, I mean at some point in time your country is going to be more wealthy if your government figures it out. So that's, that's – we're going to stay out of it. Like we, we, we serve poor people, hungry people. Hunger is an injustice. There, we, <laughs> in places where there isn't enough food. It can be the product of <laughs> injustice, but it itself is not an injustice. Okay. I, I don't care how you want to split hairs on it. No, it's not splitting hairs. It's fundamentally because if I see someone poor, if you're going to claim that's an injustice, therefore someone has to be doing that injustice to that person to create the condition. Yeah, and I think there are. Same with hunger. But you're generalizing. I'm, I'm, of course I'm generalizing. These are general topics we're talking so you're about. You're saying, well, no, the hunger is the result of somebody acting with e- evilly, right? Maliciously. Yeah, and I think that there are malicious things at work in our country and in other places that do intentionally take from people to cause them to be poor, hold people back. It, it's a reality, I think. So um, – and again, it's, it's part of the conversations I've been having with people who feel as though um, what they've experienced is specifically that. But again, back to the church's job in, in, in some sense is to serve those people. Uh, I mean Jesus says, <laughs> when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. Yeah. When the did this to the least of these. Brothers of mine. Okay, so, so it's different. It's not that's taken out of context. He also says the poor you will always have, yes. not always have me. This and these aren't these aren't antithetical to each other. That gets back to mind. So why do I why do I give a crap that there is injustice being done to people that I never need to see? Mm-hmm. And I come back to my thing because Christ has called me to love them. Right, but I'm, I was just saying instead of in the counter to the I'm staying out of this. We, right. we don't stay out of issues. I mean, churches don't stay out of issues of hunger, of poverty, of homelessness. I mean, they shouldn't. Maybe yours does because you're like, not a very good pastor, but they shouldn't. No argument there. <laughs> so this is, this is on, um, on par with those other issues of this is something we ought to be involved in. And I, it's annoying that the whole phrase social justice warrior has been coined and and if a church tries to use the word justice, you're going to get hit with, oh, you one of those social justice warrior churches? No. But again, this comes back to the point I'm trying to make is that when you use SJW, I think the perception is yeah. you're trying to take from me and give to other yeah. people. And, and again, what I'm trying to say is, is there a solution where? Because if, if the perception is whatever the solution is entails, you giving your things to that guy over there, whether he's poor or black or yellow or whatever – it's a non-starter because right. people because one that's an injustice. Right. So how do you say we can we can lift up this group, mm-hmm. whatever that group is? We can remove the barriers that have 
held them back that have created an unjust system. But it's not, it doesn't require you, you other group of people, sacrificing. Well, and, and, and I don't think it does. It doesn't. I don't, I don't see how taking from one and giving to the other solves anything. And I think there's, there is a way. Oh, yeah. So the, the, um, it's similar to the, in those other avenues that the churches work. I mean, um, we don't, a, a church should not. And, and, you know, there's some precedent where they do, like the Salvation Army, where you feed and you provide and you just leave out Jesus. Okay, that's um, no bueno, right? <laughs> like, so it's cool. You're less hungry in this life. Uh, hell's going to suck. Um, but until then, you, you, here's a sandwich. Like, that's, that is the worst way in which to— Good. You earned the right to be heard. This. Now say something. Right. Exactly. So um, this is, an, in my opinion, a great time for the church to enter into— the, and the first phase is for a lot of us cracker white churches is to uh, start really listening and, and stop dismissing and stop saying, well, but, or, you know, there's only, last year there's only nine black people shot by cops in the whole country last year. Therefore, there is no, okay, it's, there, nobody's keeping stats on uh, getting pulled over for driving while black. We actually do have stats on stop and frisk in New York where it was like 90% of the people stopped and frisked were people of color. So like, there are some statistics that, that are actually out there, but nobody's keeping track of that cop um, or the system that is just simply biased that doesn't hit the papers. It, it, doesn't, it isn't recorded anywhere. So we start listening and in listening, understand what steps can be taken. And now what we've done is – um, entered into a relationship, just like we enter into a relationship when we feed, when we clothe, when we when do all those things that Jesus tells us to do to our brothers. Now we also have a chance to say, part of this to be truly healed will be reconciliation. And that's... Um, hmm, I forgive you. Yes. yes, I would agree with that. No, and, I, and what I was going to... No, no, what I'm saying is... Four minutes ago, you did not. So I'm amazed at the progress you've made, Luke. No, no, you... <laughs> my, what I thought you were saying is stay out of it and just preach at them forgiveness. Like, we no. got to be a part of the no. yeah. resolving of the unjust thing that's happened. We have to get involved in this one. We practice what you preach. Yeah. And I, and I also think that forgiveness is a subset, um, and I don't want to... That doesn't mean I'm diminishing it, but it's a component of reconciliation. So it's, it's not... Because what I... <laughs> Here's what I, maybe this is part of my bias too. I, I think there's a lot of um, really bullshit forgiveness <laughs> in the church and in the greater Christian community, which is like, I forgive you and I'm going to lie and backstab and, and say terrible things about you. What's oh, like, the bless your heart of Christianese? <laughs> yes. Oh, well, I no, forgive honey. you. So. <laughs> yeah. we, we really need to pray for Duncan. No, I, I'm just concerned so much. He's been drinking a lot lately and, you know, his, I'm not his sure wife, he stopped eating his wife. Yeah, his wife comes home with a lot of bruises, you know, a lot of bruises. I'm not saying. But, I, but I, oh, we, we need to love that brother and lift him up in our prayers. Like, it's just, um, forgiveness is, is, um, a huge component of this overarching thing of reconciling communities. And that's what we need to be about is, is this reconciliation. Forgiveness is, is a huge piece of that. If you look at what's going on, right, and, and I think you can connect this to COVID a little bit. With the responses to COVID, we've been introduced to the fact that we're mortal and life is fragile and death is certain. And 
different ways to prolong life by locking down, by masks, by all this is to prolong life. When it comes to George Floyd and, and the protests, what they're trying to do is remove uh, on one sense, there's a, there's a group that, that wants law and order, that wants safe streets. Another group wants uh, a, just, a just society, right? And in all of this, what's trying to happen is people are trying to build, as they envision it, the kingdom of heaven on earth. Yep. And we know as Christians that ain't going to work. We can see we can see glimpses of it in a reduced sense, but it's not going to happen nope. if you don't have the King of Heaven present. I know mm-hmm. that sounds hokey, but like the one thing that's missing is the work of Christ for all people, right? And that can be that is and will be the unifying point of humanity in the life of the age to come. And it seems like a great opportunity for us uh, to bring the grace and forgiveness, because I would argue that apart from the blood of Christ and understanding forgiveness as rooted in Christ, all forgiveness is fake. I agree. No, there is no forgiveness. It's, it's, it's a negotiating tool. It's a ploy. But there's, yeah. there's no reason for it to be sincere. And, and in, how, how do you know to forgive if you don't know what forgiveness is? So, like, if you haven't experienced forgiveness that is a divine uh, originating thing, then you don't know what it is to truly pardon somebody else's sin. We know it in a in an academic sense. We know it in like a... What well, means I'm not going to fight back anymore? Yeah, but like you can have loan forgiveness, right? Like so we kind of get that. I'm not going to pursue your payments anymore. Yeah. I'm going to let you get away with something. Right. But that's but that's not the same kind of thing Ooh, that Jesus did for us. <laughs> right. So that's and that's why, you know, you were you were giving it a very cynical. I'm giving it like a slightly less cynical. <laughs> cynical. How is that? You're not cynical. <laughs> not this time. I even changed the tone of my voice to show that maybe one time. I'm no, being it's, empathetic. Yeah, I, but I'm we're on the same page of it there's only one forgiveness forgiveness that we can experience. And that comes from from our creator through his son's death and resurrection. Then now that we experience it and know what it is, we can um, act out. And it, it's – so right there we already have sort of a sense of here's where our bias is. We And it's not a bad bias. This is a good bias that we are biased towards the forgiveness that comes from God and we've experienced it. Now, somebody who's not experienced the same thing that we've experienced might look at that and be like, okay, that sounds like hippy-dippy or you guys are morons. What are you selling or, underneath all that? Or it sounds arrogant, like, oh, only Christians oh, you know, know yeah. what forgiveness is. So we have a bias because of our experience with forgiveness, with a creator, with, with religion and faith. We have a certain bias. People outside, they have a different view because they have a different experience. We need to... Um, what would be wonderful is if they could listen and hear and connect to and understand and then believe. So this is the same thing we need to be doing. We need to be going to communities who have experienced America in a way different than we have because of the color of their skin, their socioeconomic status, and listen to them instead of saying, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe you were kind of asking for that one or it's not what I experienced or you're crazy or, oh, you just want to get stuff or you're just trying to get paid. You just want a handout. You know, we see all these things to that community. But if we start listening and we share those experiences by listening and, and maybe even sharing in those experiences, we might just discover we're wrong. And that's that's one of my biggest um, – this is a, the saddest part about the last two weeks for me has been to see the manifestation of – 
uh, of a mindset inside of our denomination that I am not a fan of. Ever. We're gonna go there. <laughs> I'm not naming any names, but no. yeah. But so, so some of the responses, if I can put this in my words, my my cynical words, right? The response from some in our synod has been to basically plug your ears and go, la, 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 I'm not listening Mm -hmm. by making this issue, first of all, by not listening and Mm -hmm. by actually doing that, but also to make it into something that it's not and to try to actually hardening the us versus them lines that I think naturally exist and that's not a good thing that those need to be broken down if we're going to. Yes. But hardening the us versus them and saying that not only am I personally part of the us, but as Christians, because of our Christian faith, we should be part of the us. And and the the problem, part of the problem is that um, we we kind of are assuming and we often only employ the the grenade of racist. That word is uh, it's a big word. Are you are you racist if you don't understand what it is that the the black community has experienced? I mean. Not in the same way that like a racist who wears a white hood, burns crosses and hangs black people in the 60s in the South. Of course not. But it is. So I I try and and use words like bias and prejudice that is on in racial issues. So like if if there's a way to soft racist or I mean, I don't even like that. Unintentional. I don't even like that. Right from that video. The accidental racist. Mm. And it's. (laughs) Which is the name of my new ska band, right? (laughs) Or not mine, someone else that we're not. Yeah, yeah we're not please not yours. <laughs> no, but, but yeah, what's the word for? Because that word is loaded, and because it gets mm-hmm. thrown out so often for things that mm-hmm. don't really measure up to the level, it means nothing. Racist. All right, well, you're a Nazi. Now, I, I got there first. Nazis uh-huh, and right? everyone. So uh-huh. yeah. But, but to identify people to say, I don't think you understand where they're coming from. Right. There. But you know what I mean? I don't think you understand what the real issue is mm-hmm. or what some of the other issues are. And, and part of it is uh, the media culture and, and more than just our, our mainstream media outlets, but like just the YouTube uh, garbage that doesn't help. That's it doesn't so help. bad. Put your screens away, and except it, for this screen. And it, <laughs> and it, it pushes at people like um, they, so it's othering them, they um, want you to feel bad because your forefathers. No, they're going to take your stuff. If they get what they want, they're going to take your stuff and yeah. they're going to have their boot on your neck. Yeah. That's that's the fear that white America has in general from where this is yeah. going. Yeah. And there are some on the BLM, if we're going to replace side, side of things, that mm-hmm. is that is what they want. Yes. Yep. You put your boot on my neck for a while for 400 years. Now it's our turn and go, okay, one, that's not going to happen. Just from a numbers perspective. Right. That's not going to happen. It's not politically viable. So shh. Yeah. You're not solving the problem, the actual problem that exists. So just as there are people that are inflammatory on – one side, right? On the other side, there's the, no, I, I, I do in reparations, $2 trillion in reparations. And you guys need to feel what we're feeling. Like, well, why would you want that on anyone? Well, we, we shouldn't be um, worried about outlier nut jobs. <laughs> like, <laughs> do you want to talk about the <laughs> No, because, and I want to go there at some point in the two hours we have, because I think this is his, he has handled this. And again, I started as a seldom Trumper. Mm-hmm. Not a never Trumper, but a seldom Trumper became a majority Trumper. And now I'm back to seldom Trumper uh-huh. because he has done the worst job of handling this situation uh-huh. imaginable short of 
burning across someone's yard. Uh-huh. I mean, it's, and again, take this for what it's worth. Like, this is not a subtle thing for what this country needs right now is Joe Biden, because what our country needs right now is most certainly Jesse Ventura. <laughs> I was going with The Rock, actually. Well, Jesse Ventura is actually thinking about, he's thinking about it. But, no. Yeah, and no. dude, I would vote for him in a heartbeat. He's libertarian. You would he's like no, him. He's not. Yes, he is. But he isn't. Yes, he is. He's the hookers and drugs libertarian. He's not the freedom libertarian. No, no, no. The Rock. Uh, the Rock would win in a heartbeat, dude. If, if The Rock Can ran. you imagine like any sort of foreign meeting with leaders of other nations? Pull his sunglasses off. Listen up. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be awesome. Anyways. No, uh, so so we're, we're, we're talking about... Inflammatory so the rhetoric. inflammatory rhetoric, but the 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 unwillingness, and it, and it is fed by all of this garbage that's out there that people are watching and listening to, where they feel like they're trying to make me feel guilty because my great 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 grandparents were slave owners, and there's a handful who are trying to do that. That's for sure, but that's not that's not the direction we should go, anyways, and it's not what most of the people um, who are from the black community are trying to accomplish. They're, they're trying to accomplish <clears throat> justice in, in policing. They're trying to accomplish equity in, in what's happening between people groups that, that are in their city and in, in their state. So, so to, to just, I mean, it, it's been really, really disheartening. Um, and a friend of ours who used to be a pastor had said um, elsewhere that, you know, it's the, it's well, well established that, um, we harbor racism in our denomination, and I didn't think that was true until I looked at Facebook recently. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it is true. And I know I think we're trying. I mean, if you look at the steps that our denomination has taken since we were in SEM and, and around that time with the PIIT <clears throat> and all that, we're at least trying to recognize there's an issue here. Yeah, and I think we're clumsily trying to address it. Again, okay, that's the problem with your solution. I, I don't have one. I mean, that, that's my weakness. Right. But I do think we're clumsily trying to address something that we know is a real issue. And that and those steps then, maybe not, you know, wholeheartedly endorsed should be, should be supported as we recognize there's an issue here. We're not communicating. We're letting our Eurocentric origins uh, make, hinder the communication of the gospel to all nations. And there's there is really good precedent for the LCMS in the past. So, so part of my whole big research project last couple of weeks has been trying to um, find places where Lutherans, specifically LCMS or et cetera, where have we been in this space before? And I found a treasure trove. Like in, in the sermon, I was like 25 pages where like it's, it was freaking awesome. There was a guy um, right in the, the midst of the civil rights movement. He is, his first call right out of seminary was to Birmingham, Alabama. And he quickly was like, I, I got to tell you, I got to be in on this. I got to be in on the civil rights stuff. And his church was like, oh, okay, we're with you. And he was part, like, he marched with Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah, he was a big, and his name was, like, Gertz or Getz or something like that. I got it written down somewhere, like I said. Um, freaking awesome. Like, we were part of it. And there's this this um, quote I found in this conversation of Martin Luther King Jr. and a bunch of white evangelical pastors from the north, from, from historically black-friendly places, and in that conversation, the evangelical leaders were saying, we don't think the church should be involved in the civil rights movement. 
especially white churches. The rationale was it's divisive and we don't want to drive anybody away and you cannot change the heart of men by changing laws. So to truly combat racism, to pass a law won't be effective, but rather what we need to do is change the hearts of men, blah, 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 blah. And uh, King's response was really amazing. It was articulate and brilliant as you would expect it to be. But like the most poignant line was, you may be right about the changing of hearts and men, but changing these laws will save lives and at least give dignity to people and force others to recognize us as humans, even if their hearts never change. That's still a net positive. And it was just, it was, and obviously that wasn't a direct quote. I just brought that off the top of my head. Direct quote. But it was, I mean, it, do we've been here. Churches, churches should be doing this stuff. And we, um, my other point in all this is, has been, if it's not coming from the church, we're going to ask the culture and society to choose and follow the moral compass of CNN, Fox News, Black Lives Matter, I mean, like Hollywood. That's, that's the other option. There's, there's no... There's no good alternative voice in the room talking about these things. And I, so I, I want to be clear. Like, I'm not a black lives. I, I'll raise my hand and say black lives matter, small b. But the black lives matter group is real tr- problematic for a Christian. I mean, they're pro-abortion, mm-hmm. um, LGBTQ rights, all sorts of stuff that I am I'm not on board with, with capital B, black lives matter, outside of that phrase, which is... True. I think they should go to Blam. Blam. Black lives also matter. <laughs> eh. No, you'd, yeah. you would you would solve the problem because you hear the black lives well, all lives matter, but only the black lives matter. No, black lives also matter. And I think that the tone of that is much more appropriate to where the discussion <clears throat> should go to yeah. achieve the desired outcome. Like we matter also. Like yeah. yes, you do. Yes. Um, so and then Blam would be a really cool acronym. It is fun actually. The Blam movie. Blam. You got blamed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So so do we want to go to Orange Man? Orange Man bad. I, I think he is Orange on Man this. Orange Man bad. I think he is on this. And I, 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 my bias is to, again, I'm coming out of being a Republican until I think I dropped my membership around 2006. Membership. Right? As a, as a member of the GOP because I realized they weren't for limited government or the party of life to any measurable degree. And so I became independent. But but my bias is R's are better than D's. I'm not an R, but R's are better than D's. And I think largely that's the case because you don't want to take my money to kill babies and you're going to let me worship. Yep. Right. So you're better than Team D. However, um, with this issue, Trump has not has not shown leadership. His his way of leading is to knock things over mm-hmm. and, to, and to bully, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's trying to do that, use that approach to leadership here. And it's absolutely the wrong approach. Absolutely the wrong approach. Tear gas and rubber bullets so you can do a photo op in front of a church is not the right, is not the right message. The tweets about you, you, you go to burn down the thing, we're going to shoot you. Yeah. Like that's, that's uh, dangerous. Yeah. Uh, so I actually, we, we posted on Facebook um, in, in a roundabout way <laughs> to, to kind of distance us primarily from that photo. 
Like I, I am adamant about not taking a political stance, and that's why this is a right. bit of a departure for Living Faith because this it's not without politics. This whole movement, but um, I, it, it, my first thought when I saw that picture was, knock it the f off. Do not. Do not send this message that to stand with church is to stand with Trump and to stand with Trump is to stand with. I want to be as far from that. And I, Trump or any president, mm-hmm. I don't care. Mm-hmm. I want to be away from yeah. that. I, I mean, again, sure. and to me, I'm thinking if Obama would have done this, right, that's the litmus yeah. test. Put Obama's head in there instead of Trump. Oh. Yeah. Oh. I, I, I don't want that either. I don't want any yeah. politician saying that the church and, and the church is on my side and I'm on the side of the church. I don't want that. Mm-hmm. I'm glad for them to to pass laws and to to um, be a president that is favorable to church. I'd rather have a president who goes to church. <laughs> I'd rather have a president who loves Jesus than just panders to people who do. And that's that's how I took that was. Um, communicating all of those things. Like, hey, listen, church, you guys are threatened right now, and everybody knows the church is threatened right now. I'm your savior. Hop on Team Trump. Okay, no. Uh-uh. No, no, not for that reason. And yeah, Right, and I don't care if you are Team Trump. Um, uh, odds are I'm going to vote for the guy. Yeah. I mean, and... if I mean, I say this every four years, right? But isn't every four years like, <laughs> if there was ever a time for a third candidate, like, like, this is it. And I feel like this time is like, Okay, all those other times were nothing. <laughs> like, this is the moment where, I mean, literally, Luke, if you were to raise your hand and be like, uh, I'll do it. <laughs> I could probably win you that vote. You could get 40% of the vote. Who's this guy? Well, he's just, I mean, I don't know. He's like, not them. <laughs> he's not senile. And he's not orange. <laughs> so, I mean, we're at that point, though. I, I And so that's my quiz. Like, What's happening in our system where some guy or girl or whatever isn't going, uh, I'll do it. I know. And, and I get people like, it's a money thing. Like, yeah, 10 years ago, sure, or 12 years ago, because 10 years ago we weren't doing this. But now with the internet and how f- social media, you could advertise, uh, I'll do it for a couple million bucks. Yeah. And this, I think, speaks to systemic problems in our country. One of them is racial, <laughs> but there's there are systemic problems that we we need to change systems. That's, that's what we mean by by systemic problems. We need to change a system, a two party system. Where again, most people, honestly, I, I talk to a lot of people. Most people don't realize that they're private companies. Yeah, the Republicans and Democrats. Oh, the, yeah, the primaries. People like, assume that it's my right to vote. Okay, this is a primary. This is not your right to vote. This is two 501c3s or whatever they're classified as picking who they're going to hold up as their doofus. Yeah. And people assume that the government somehow is like in the constitution, there's like the, the Republican paragraph where it's like, and one party shall be elephants and one party shall be donkeys. And the elephants will not like black people and want to lower your taxes. And the donkeys are dim-witted. Will pander to everybody, promise you things, raise your taxes, and never deliver. So, but it's not. It's there's nothing. Nothing in our government says no, that there are two. It. But but both parties have co-opted the laws to where it's very hard to break through. Yep. I think social media should. I mean, if, if properly used, you can prop. You can run. I would think as an independent, because mm-hmm. I mean, 
yeah, your name's getting on the ballot is the is the big thing. Right. Going on a debate, hey, I can I can do the I can go on Joe Rogan, right? And I can have as many people listen to me on Joe Rogan uh-huh. as are gonna really be watching the debates. I mean, I'm watching the debates this time because I want to watch Trump's head explode and Biden forget where he is. <laughs> like that's I'm not I'm not gonna watch the debates for anything short of the spectacle and circus that it's gonna be. Mm-hmm. And I think most people are like that. But I think Someone needs to figure out how to crack the nut of utilizing the technology, social media, whatever it is, YouTube that we have yeah. today, to say, uh, I'll do it. Because I think you win. I think you once, – once your name is ubiquitous, you win. This is the time when people are like, you know what? Screw it. This is enough of this crap. Yeah. I, I, I think it is. Um, I'll be saying the same thing in four years. Probably. <laughs> right? Because like, the system is set up to make it so hard. It's so stupid. I'm I'm so disenfranchised with with politics right now because you, like you are said, are you cynical? I am super cynical, <laughs> super cynical. That may be enough of a reason to vote for Trump as the person we deserve. Listen, you idiots, you deserve another four years of this monster because you can't get it through your thick skulls to just just put a human being, a functioning, like coherent, self actualized person. If a Democrat. It was the thing I said the other day in front of a bunch of Democrats that they agreed with and Where laughed at. Where were you at. when you were in front of a bunch of Democrats? Many red. Really? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Out here? Oh yeah. No. Oh yeah. And in, in, in my buddy's garage, drinking beer, playing ping pong, eating food. I said, killing babies. I would love. <laughs> yeah. And we actually we got into a really. It was me as the the Christian um, pro life guy with a bunch of Democrat pro choice people having a really civil. Pretty deep, intense debate. Yes, I had to. I had to throttle hard back on that. Just pull it back. Um, But it's we're we're friends, and it just yeah, yeah. yeah. But anyways, yeah. uh, I said out loud, I would gladly vote for a Democrat if any Democratic Party would run one. I mean, that'd be great. Right now, they only run Republicanish people who want like more wars. And I mean, so I was I was saying, so which party am I talking about? Raise taxes, more wars, uh, injustice against more people, uh, class warfare. It's the same. <laughs> they do the same. There's no difference between they the just parties. Pa- the results are the same, but there's pandering to different groups of people. Yeah. So I and, and again, this is this is the question for the inner for all you people in the inner city. You people. Right. Exactly. Is these are dem- and again, not speaking as a Republican. But these are Democrat-controlled enclaves for the last sixty years, and you st- and, and and you claim that life is miserable there. And from all appearances, You're it right. is. <laughs> yeah. Why are you still voting for the same people? Right. I'm not saying I would join the Republic. I don't know what I would do. I know I would keep pulling the same lever, expecting a different result. Right. I just I wouldn't do it. I, I kick the bums out. There's got to be a way, and I agree with you. The two parties. The, they haven't solved any issues that they can get elected on. So, for example, the two big ones are Democrats are always going to run on immigration reform. Mm-hmm. The minute there's real immigration reform, we figure it out. They can't run on that issue. They're less electable. Republicans uh, run on – what do they run on? I don't know. I don't even know what they run on anymore. Cigars and scotch? Cutting taxes? <laughs> yeah. I mean – but what they run on, the minute you solve that problem – Balancing the budget. <laughs> Texas, right. the, the minute or pro-life, they run on pro-life. We're right. pro-life. The minute you ban abortion, 
I don't need to vote for you anymore because you did the thing. Mm-hmm. So they're incentivized to not solve the problems they campaign on. Right. Because I can get elected to my red district campaigning on this. You can get elected in your blue district campaigning on this. As long as we're both in power, great. Which is why I don't think the Democrats want to win the presidency. Yeah, you've said that before. I, I don't think they do. I think, <laughs> the be- again, for the, co- the corporation of the Democrat Party, Trump has been wonderful. In the same way Obama was wonderful for the Republican brand. <laughs> and for guns. <laughs> Obama sold more guns than anybody ever. True story. He'd be like, we're going to talk about guns. Run on guns. <laughs> COVID also sold a lot of guns. Did. To a lot of people who were anti-gun. Uh-huh. I've, heard a lo- I've heard a lot of stories of people who, like, <clears throat> dudes who've been like, my wife, who's always been against me having a gun, like, two weeks into the pandemic, we're like, maybe you should go get a handgun. They're like, I, I'm, I'm on my way. I'll get six. <laughs> <laughs> I got them all. I got everyone they had. Right. Yeah. True story. But, um... Honestly, I, I think that there is that real divide right now in our country, and it isn't right versus left. That's that's what they're trying to sell us on. Yeah, it's not there. It's it's a upper versus lower, and and the us and them is actually all politicians who run the country. And I've said this before that that they have to once every four years convince us that they're working on our behalf. That's all I got to do. Just just no, I'm I'm trying, man. I'm trying. I- yeah, I'll divide it one more rung down uh, w- um, um, among the the us of we the people, right? I, mm-hmm. I agree with you. That there's the ruling class that that either, I mean, Trump's going to run on. I gave you a six hundred dollar check <laughs> or twelve hundred dollar check, mm-hmm. right? That's he, he's gearing up to run on that. Um, I think among we the people, though, there is a fundamental dis disagreement and but you don't hear this anymore because the republicans have become more democrat in government can solve your problems but a fundamental divide and this is where we're aligned on more libertarian like i don't think government can solve this Mm, correct and so it's what can solve can government solve whatever the issue is and i'm of the mind 98 percent no it can't and nor should nor should we ask it to we shouldn't even try but then there's other people who know government is that's what solves problems. Mm-hmm. Private sector creates problems. Government solves. I think that's another huge divide. Um, and yeah. there, there, I would argue that our, our faith can inform us as to the the biblical role of government. Sure. Not that it can't do what's outside of its biblical mm-hmm. precedent, but that it's mm-hmm. probably not the best entity to solve problems outside of its mandate. And you know, the, the there are other just bigger issues. Like I was saying, you know, capitalism does sort of require a winner and loser mindset. So somebody is, is going to make money off of somebody else. It, it does require somebody. No, it doesn't. Uh, no, crony capitalism does. For another day. Anyways, <laughs> let's get back to black people. <laughs> let's keep talking about things we have no right to talk about. Pastor's talking about money. Like, yeah. Uh. No, but I mean, so we have in our neighborhood, and, and this has been, and I'm trying to figure out, you know, how, how this should be addressed. Because I think um, we have a couple of, of biracial families in our neighborhood, one with a dad, one without a dad. And they have kids, our kids' agents, so they play together. And I want my kids to be, in a sense, colorblind to where we don't, you know, let them be as innocent as they can for as long as they can. Because then they'll see that there's no difference. Mm-hmm. 
Um, because I didn't realize that there was a difference between black and white until I was told there was. Mm-hmm. And I wish no one would have ever told me. Because, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Right. Uh, and so we let them play together and this and that. And I'm going, now, am I, am I being colorblind by free-range kids and your free-range friends? Or am, I trying to, or am I trying to use the biracial kids in our neighborhood as props to prove that I'm mm-hmm. – <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it gets in your head as to like – Sure. I want to be as loving and transparent and colorblind. And in one example, this kid's dad as much as possible. Um, but I don't want to do it because I feel guilt, white guilted into it. And some of that's real and it's external and some of it's fake and it's internal. Mm-hmm. So you got you to battle both because I, I have a guilty conscience. You live in an all-white neighborhood, though. No, I don't. So tell me about your <laughs> – So um, I had like this – super excited. The the family <clears> – <throat> we, we loved the previous family. They were great. They moved. Family moves in um, and this is this black family and I'm kind of excited already. Like, okay, this is good. One of the big things um, in, in my sermon again this Sunday, uh, when we moved to Des Moines, one of my biggest fears was – my kids are not going to have any multicultural experience. When, I, when we came to visit, and there's people from India all over the place in my, in my neighborhood and, and around Waukee, the people who work from work at Wells Fargo, principal, all this. I was like, okay, so it's still like 90%. <laughs> but, but it's not like just, just an inner city urban thing. There's, there's a lot of people of color that are out, outside in, in the suburbs where I live. So actually, let me, let me back that story up a little bit. When we moved in, 10 years ago to this house, um, just we're almost on the corner and then kitty corner. So we're one house down and then kitty corner across kind of a busy street. There's a a mixed race family and they've got five boys and uh, the ages are a little bit younger than my oldest down to the age of my youngest. So it's, it's perfect in that span of these kids are my kids age. Perfect. Right. Um, used to be at the same bus stop and then that shifted. Now that now their bus stop is literally right across the street because they don't want kids going across a busy street. Their kids play with our kids and on a, and all the parents usually for about the first three or four weeks or if it's really cold or just because we're bored, we walk to the bus stop and we sit there and we chit chat with our kids and they get on the bus. And the, the dad who is black would come over and, and we would just be like, Hey, how you doing? Good. How you doing? Um, yep. Weather's good today. All right. We'll see you guys later. And he'd walk back. And I was always like, man, everybody else in this neighborhood, like, I think he thinks we don't like black people. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, this is sad. But I don't want to be, I don't want to be the guy who's like, I just want you to know. I love black people. <laughs> right? Because that's not a good look. And it's, no, it's, just, it's that's weird. exactly it's weird. what a racist would say. <laughs> no, no, I'm not racist. I love black people. I have a black friend. Like, that's exactly what racists say. So, um, I've been working and I'm not, I'm not joking. I have filed away every conversation we've ever had ever. So I, I knew what he does for a living. I'd ask what his wife does and I'd say like, getting all these things sort of lined up. And then, um, fast forward nine and a half years in November, new family. And, um, I see that they've, they've got like the thin blue line thing on their car. And I was like, huh, okay. Sure. So that's. Exactly what I was expecting, and they've got like Cross and the Christian radio station on their car, and I'm like, Christians next door. This is good, and like our kids play together a little bit. We started. This is a funny story. Um, we wanted to because we have a, a tight knit group in our neighborhood. All the the guys get together, watch fights, drink beer, great time. We would invite him over to come. Wait, 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 which one? 
the black guy. The new one. Okay. New the black, black guy. Yeah. We invite him over to the fights. Wait, the new black guy has the blue lives yes. in the car? Yeah. Oh, you didn't tell me he was, he was, okay. Yeah. It, it's exciting. Okay. New, new so, neighbor's a black so, guy. Yeah. So. I thought you were saying for 10 years you had the one black neighbor. The one black guy. But then a new black guy. Moved in next door. And then he's, but he has, if you saw Christian, his car, you would yes. think he's more you. Definitely. <laughs> okay. So, um, he introduces himself as Phil. And, like, pretty soon, uh, we start chit-chatting and talking and hanging out a little bit more, and everybody's calling him Daniel. And I was like, so at one point I was like. Pretty sure he said, what's your name? <laughs> I'm confused here. And he was like, oh, so I kind of vet people. I tell his name is Philip Daniel. This way, like down the road, he knows if somebody calls like his Phil there, he's like, I'm not friends with this guy. Or if somebody sends him an email and they're like, hey, Phil, he's like, I'm not really friends with this guy. Otherwise, he'd call me Daniel. My mom did that with first name, only it was professional casual acquaintance. I was so that. Yeah, I looked at him and was like, so you assumed we were going to be friends? And he's like, I got to be honest. Like, I wasn't sure. White guy, tattoos, guns. <laughs> he's like, I Shaved was, head. Yeah. You want to come over and watch some fights in my basement? I'm like, yeah. He's like, I was a little nervous. I'm like, okay, I, I get it. So, <laughs> so we literally spend like every day now, actually not him as much as um, uh, Joni and I. My wife and I hang out with his wife. He works nights. And kids all play together, hang out and everything. And and we've just been having these um, awesome conversations about Jesus. And so I finally have another Christian in the neighborhood to talk with, which is nice. And also to assist in witnessing to other neighbors. Really nice. It's It's been really cool. And just starting last week, so we literally every day this summer, every day of COVID, have been sitting together in either my driveway, driveway drinking, driveway drinking, yep. listening to music. I got, I bought a, a second Alexa just for the garage so we can listen to music. Um, the the uh, the guy from across the street walks down and he's like, "Hey, and I was like, grab a seat." And he's been hanging out with us now. I think he's like, uh, if, if "They have black friends. Like, <laughs> I could be their friend too." So now we're hanging out with him, and it's great. So <laughs> it's it's kind of. Kind of interesting how, how this all um, is unfolding in front of us. But point is that that is uh, honestly the the thing to do that um, Dr. Nunez, if, did you watch that webinar from uh, Matt Peoples? Do you remember Matt Peoples? Yeah, I know Matt Peoples. Matt Peoples, anyway, yeah. So he did, no, I didn't, I didn't watch. He did a webinar with um, uh, Dr. Nunez, President Nunez from uh, Concordia, Bronxville. No, we're watching Shit's Creek at our house. <laughs> so we don't have time for that. <laughs> Well, this is professional. So he he does a nice. So is he kind of is. Um, you be way too. You're serious in this one. I am. I'm deep, man. This is. I mean, I'm, you've been. I'm doing webinars. We had, we, I, I, we had one break of <laughs> casuistry. You're back into it. This is this is good. This is a, you haven't cussed a lot. Yet. I'm trying to not to to not to. Is this your? Is this, this a new Luke? No, no. I've I've always felt this way. This is SFW Luke. Yeah, single white female. One, no, one. single female white. What? A man can <laughs> sufficient for work, suitable for work. So, uh, <laughs> nice. Um, so the the biggest piece that that Nunez, that um, Haney, that that all of the the people that I I know, I don't know Nunez well, but all I know the black him. people in our synod that you trust. Both of them. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, to to try and um, say. Where do I take my church next? And Jerry Coleman's another one. You probably don't know him. Um, but it, where Why do, would you assume that about me? Are you saying that because I'm 
Because he's Concordia St. Paul and he's older and retired. No, I don't know. I knew it. <laughs> Great guy. L- little bit. We differ on some uh, theological things, but he's a good Divinity friend. of the Son of God. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he rejects Jesus other than that. But he, he was a campus pastor at, at St. Paul for a while. So uh, they, the, the thing is to begin with this introspection of self. And Haney and, and Nunez both say, and start to seek actively to diversify. Get involved and and uh, in, in places where you're going to run into people who are different from you. Uh, that could be uh, hobbies. It, it could be sporting events. Like even um, finding ways to you know choose teams for your kids or sports and activities for your kids where they're going to interact, and then make an effort to connect with the the parents of those kids. So I would say in your community, that's that would be the go to is. You know, hey, our kids play together a lot, and uh, just thought it'd be cool to like get the kids together to play, have barbecue in the backyard, and talk. My my thing has always been, I'm super nervous to bring up race around on black people, um, so I usually try and wait until they breach the subject, and I'm like, yeah, let's talk about that. Because my and and again, we just have two biracial couples in our in our neighborhood. One's right across the street, single mom. And then the other one is they're like a street over, but my daughter and their daughter play together, and it's 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 wonderful. So my hesitation is how many conversations? I mean, they live in a in a sea of whiteness. Mm-hmm. How many conversations do they have about race? Uh-huh. And am I just one more white person going? Tell me about your people, right? Uh-huh. Instead of going, I'm going to be the person that doesn't treat you differently. Like, I recognize that, because one of them is first generation, so Mm -hmm. refugee, right? Mm -hmm. But not refugee, immigrant. Mm -hmm. Sorry, immigrant. And uh, uh, to be that family that, like, we just love you guys. Like, if you want to talk about race, we're here to listen. If you don't want to, we don't have to. So right now, my my thoughts and feelings and impressions I'm getting is that's that's not necessarily – that's not a bad thing. It's just not a negative but it's healthier and the people I know of color have been very open to these conversations. Some of them are, are, um, but get them drinking first. Get them to definitely get them drunk. There you go. Um, and they, they tire of it for sure. I mean, that's a, uh, you know, a mutual friend of ours. Keffy Dean is, is mm-hmm. kind of expressed that cause I reached out to him too. Yeah. How's Keffy? Um, he doesn't want to talk about it. And I, okay. Yeah. Man. For the thousand and 21st time. Yeah. Yeah. But honestly, I, you know, the, the, the people I'm, I'm connected with on a daily basis that I'm really good friends with, they do. And, and they, um, so I, I, I worked really hard on that sermon I did last week and I actually wanted so to, this week you're just kind just, of, just, <laughs> just winging it. Um, but I, I wanted to vet it with some people and say, I, this is important enough that I want to get this right. So I sent it to my, I'll read you his text. So, um, I sent a text to my buddy, Phil. Daniel. Daniel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, I said, uh, um, it's recorded. I'd be interested in your feedback. And uh, he said, bold, risky, through emotional introspective. These are a few of the words that came to mind. Um, blah, blah, blah. You address the skin side. This is a really long text. He said, I appreciate you as a pastor, neighbor, friend, citizen for taking time to do the necessary work to care and act. If you would have spoke from notes prepared, oh, was blah, blah, blah said, I felt tears coming up while I watched for the sermon because I felt like finally someone is listening, finally, um, and on and on from there. So that I'm telling you that the biggest thing is um, to ask questions 
and you know, don't ask leading questions like, don't you hate it when cops pull you over? <laughs> like open-ended and, and listen and just try to understand. I, I've, I have been blessed in all of the, I've had hundreds of conversations in the last two weeks because people go, they start kind of like, hmm. they go, no, I'm, you know, I'm trying to understand this. Like, okay, he's, he, he is trying to understand this. So that's the other thing is you have to actually care. You have to, you can't pretend like you care, <laughs> but I don't, I think most people do. I think most people do care and want to understand. And I've, that's usually a blessing for everybody involved. For somebody who wants to listen and understand you, people, people will talk. Do you think people, and again, this is, I mean, I'm, this is not my area, right? So this is not a leading question. Do you think, when you look at the George Floyd killing, which, which, which sparked all this, not that one wrong death is more serious than another, but I think there's been, the one that got me was, it was the one, the black guy's running away in a park and the cop shoots him from behind. Yeah. That one to me was like, we have a problem. Like this is, we have a problem. And I don't care if it's nine people. Yeah. Like this, and and whether it's white or black or whether it's there's, there's uh, unjust use of force, like there's a police brutality culture, like this is, this is chilling. This guy's trying to escape, like he's trying to flee to not get shot and he gets pop, pop. But we've been watching these things and these kind of things have been going on now, not just from the 60s. I mean, it's, it's like it's like slavery ended in the 1860s and then for 100 years, everything just kind of, the whites went over there and the blacks went over there. And then 100 years later, we all got back together and solved, you know, mm-hmm. civil rights. And now, no, this, is, this has been a thing for our nation from the beginning. Um, and it's been an issue from the beginning. I mean, e- even in the beginning, the founding of our nation... They wanted to, the founding fathers, a number of them wanted to, all right, clean slate, we're getting rid of slavery. Mm -hmm. But they were like, let's make a country first because we can't unify the country around ending slavery on day one. But they knew they had, they knew it was going to be an issue. Do we really think that, and again, this may be a leading question, what's different this time? Uh, I I like that question. And I I don't know, um, and I think it's going to be unpacked for the next 10, 15 years and studied and, and... there's, there's a lot, but but I think there is a perfect storm. And when we talk about a perfect storm, it means like seven things conspire to make a, a super low front and, and five things conspire to make a super high front. So there's so many different factors. And I think one of the big factors, of course, is the nature of that video where you just can't. N- nobody, nobody is looking at that going, I mean, maybe it was justified. There's literally not a white person <laughs> anywhere. It looks like he took a swing at him. Like, no, he's tied up on the yeah. ground. Yeah, this is – so there's that. The the perfect case of nobody, nobody is going to be able to say that was less than a horrific thing done. And then um, added to that, COVID. I think COVID did a couple of things. It, it pre-galvanized us. So – yeah, there were some people who were like, oh, at first they said no mask, now they say mask, and these, but nobody is like, there's no virus killing people. Like, we were all, and then we were all like in the same boat of, this sucks. Everyone's kind of just a little bit pissed off. Yeah, and, but agitated. All, agitated. Yes, and together. Right. Like, we were all agitated. To, there was no, like, 
you're agitating me. <laughs> it is like I am agitated. We are in a state of being agitated, agitated together, and like it, and without a lot of anything else to focus on. I mean, no, a lot of people are like, well, we're not making any. I mean, the church is this way. We're not going to make a ton of really big decisions until we know more. Until COVID is over, we're not going to this. We're not, so there, I think that, and there's there's probably a five or six other things that I'm, I haven't thought of as to why COVID was a perfect part of the perfect storm for everybody to go, all right, this has all of my attention. I'm a hundred percent on board with that thing. And now I'm actually listening. Do you, do you think it, it primed it in this way? Like in Iowa less here, cause I don't think we really experienced COVID the way other States have. Mm-hmm. Cause basically like you have to worship in small groups for a while and you can't go out to eat. Like no my, stay at home. Yeah. Yeah. Like we've been able to do, took two months off of going to the gym, yeah, like, yeah, whatever. Sucks. Yeah. But, but we haven't been locked down, but you have most of the States where it's a governor saying, go to your room for two months, go to your room. And now white people have experienced government and not all, some people are like, yes, we should lock down and do whatever the good governor says, because they know more than we do. However, people on the other side of the political fence from your usual black lives matter group, have now been told by the government, do something that you don't want to do because you want to open up. Screw you. You're locked down. And so now we, for two months, have been told by our government. Got a little taste of it. Do something you don't want to do. We're like, no. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. And so so now, not that, so I know what it's like to be a great. <laughs> no, but I have been told by my government to do something. It's a point of reference. I've yeah. been put in my place. I think that's definitely a component. Um, and in general, even if you agree with the the stay at home orders, and there's a lot of people who do, like, yep, yeah, we have we're told to stay at home, we got to stay at home. It's still nobody likes it. Nobody. But the people that don't like the stay at home orders politically are not would be usually, on the other side. Yeah. But now they're kind of like, yeah, that kind of sucked. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a big fan of power anymore. Yeah, I think there's a. I think there's a lot of it, and it. So I've I've had guys um, in my church who. Yeah, I, I would have never been like, oh, that guy was totally racist. But instead saying, you know, I, I'm seeing this different. And, and I, you know, I, I don't know what it is. I'm really coming around to we do need to say something. Like before I started talking about it, coming and bef- they hadn't watched the sermon, hadn't heard anything I had to say about it, coming and, and saying, you know, this is different. And this is we, we do need to we need to say something, do something. I just got to figure out what I got to start listening. So there is something different. And um, the activists I've been talking to, um, Black Lives Matter group that I've been talking to has been saying, this does feel different. It feels different than Philando Castile. Um, feels different than all of the other instances. Do the hardcore BLM people, now they're being corporatized, now that it's the cool thing to do, do they feel like they're losing some of their authenticity? Uh, no. And, and I don't know. I, I definitely see a difference between the beginning of BLM, which was we're coming for your stuff. Yeah. And now the tone or, or what, again, what we're seeing on screens is very much BLM equals police reform. And you may get a few people shouting, goodbye the police. But it's more about police reform, uh, justice reform, and less about we're coming for your stuff. Well, I think there's just a, a natural um, maturity of any group as, you know, in its young stages with a lot of ambition and a lot of, um, you know, just just big thinking and all of that as it experiences life, as the leaders mature, as um, people rise to the top who are um, 
just just the the more intelligent, the more whatever, the the more powerful, the more gifted leadership will just gradually start rising to the top, and the voices coalesce. That's just the nature of of anything, of a church, of of any organization. And I don't feel like they're they're getting too off message. Um, I think that the message previously was scattered, and then when you have a when you have a diverse and scattered message. What the media picks up is that which people are more likely to click on, <laughs> which is the bombastic Burning things, yeah, crazy stuff, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, but uh, I guess so, so. So as we as we wrap up, as we wrap up, forecast out two months from now, where are we? Uh, COVID is gone in two months. I 100 percent believe that's true. <laughs> Not that it's gone. I think that we like. I think a few people die. Eh. I declared it over like two weeks ago. Like, I, I woke up and, like, I was listening to the news and, like, looking outside and seeing what people are doing. I was like, I think we decided it's over. Like, nobody it's over. Ca- nobody cares. Yeah. They just, everybody's like, ah, enough. <laughs> Quit. Done. <laughs> so, um, so, so the return to normal in the next two months, I actually think, is going to assist the, the movement because um, we have – right now we have two really big things to think about. And – I suspect that the energy behind the social racial un- unrest is going to outlive the um, the COVID nineteen, and there's going to be less and less on the news of of both and, and it's going to be more and more. Here's what Black Lives Matter, and here's what these activist groups are doing. Um, we're I love what's happening in Minneapolis with the police force because a it's so dumb, it's entertaining because you. You're not really like they, they did this. Everybody likes to talk about in Camden. They did this in Camden. What they did was say, all right, there's no more city police. You are all now county police. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> so you didn't. Huh? So I have to move my pension funds from this account to that account. And you had to change shirts and a new badge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just change shirts. That's not a thing. Like, well, it's just so it's so reactive. Yeah. Yeah. Get rid of the police. <laughs> have you thought about this? No. <laughs> Let me know how it goes. <laughs> but <laughs> next time we go north for vacation, we might drive around the city. I mean, honestly, like we might. I'm actually going north in <laughs> like end of June, early July, and I will maybe drive around the city. But but that's going to that's gonna stay in the news for a while um, because it's not like, oh, we're just going to wait till the riots peter out and be done. They're like, no, we're, we're disbanding the police. And so now people now are going to talk about it. Like, yeah, so the country is going to be watching and – the news is going to be reporting and here's what they're doing and here's how they're trying to accomplish all that kind of stuff. So um, that'll keep it in the news. That's useful. And I think that we are going to see um, real reform in cities in how we do policing and that that is good. Um, In two months? No. But I bet in two months we've got six or seven more major metropolitan areas that are abolishing their police. I think they're going to look at Minneapolis and go, let's wait, see how this yeah. goes. They, they didn't abolish their police. Like first, let's, let's be honest. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and two, here's what they learned and lessons. Here's what worked. Here's what didn't work. Here's the direction they're moving. And I think we're going to start seeing it in other cities. And I, I see, I see a, a, a wave. It's going to take six years or so of the entire country shifting a little bit. It's good. Except in the South. Specifically, like Lake of the Ozarks area in Missouri. Uh, those people are just backwards, ignorant racists. That's uh, it's a pretty bold state. Pretty, pretty specific. specific. 
right. Didn't name any names. <laughs> All right, we're gonna we're gonna wrap this up. And uh, thanks for coming in, Duncan. And there you have it. Uh, I hope you had as much fun as we did, <laughs> especially towards the end there. That was uh, a bit of an inside joke, inside baseball. So, but anyways, uh, yeah, that was a good time. And I just encourage everybody to continue to think and consider and uh, have conversations. Listen to people. Listen to people of color and <clears throat> try to understand because that's it is absolutely critical right now in our history of this country and uh, as people of God, all of that, to be listening to people who are oppressed um, and who are dealing and dealing with something we're not and experiencing the world in a way that we're not. So, um, yeah. All right. Until next time, be good. <laughs>